Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Lake Mount Young Adults Podcast. We are the Young Adults Ministry of Lake Mount Worship Center, and we are on a mission to connect young adults to the life-changing presence of Jesus Christ. We meet every Monday night at 7 p.m., and we'd love to have you join us. You can find more information on our socials, but in the meantime, we hope you enjoy the message for this week. Well, I will tell you who I am, just in case you don't know. Uh, tonight, this is the first time she's been here while I've been preaching in a very long time. It is my wife, Rebecca. We've been married for 13 years this May. Come on. She's not just my wife. She's my baby mama. We have two kids. Lucy's 11. And Jadwin is almost nine. And yeah, that's true. Okay, if you have your notebooks and your Bibles available, pull them out. And as you do that, actually, who has a paper Bible? Hold it up, wave it over your head like you're super proud because you guys are the winners tonight. Look at that. That is a sea of real Bibles. Uh, Sorry, Marvin. Digital doesn't count. (laughs) Still cool. It's still cool. All right. Let's, Let's pray. God, I thank you for Lake Mount Young Adults. God, I thank you that tonight we came here to meet with you. And Lord, I thank you that in worship, when we're singing songs to you, God, you're always faithful to show up. And so, God, I just thank you that that set the table for what we're about to feast on. And God, I just pray that um, your Holy Spirit would just move amongst us and prepare our hearts. And God, would you open ears Would you be the words behind my words tonight, that you'd speak directly to hearts in ways that I could never do? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Have you ever said or did something really dumb that you regret literally to this day? Nick, first hand that flew up. (laughs) Something that like, maybe you did it like 10 years ago, and when it comes to mind, you're just like, oh man. Still, just so ashamed that I did that. That was so stupid. I'm going to tell you a story from my life. So, my first job was in high school. I worked at McDonald's here in Grimsby. Who else here works in fast food? Okay. Anybody work at the local McDonald's or did? Yeah, Charlize. Awesome. Girl, I don't know. I'm sorry. That's okay. McDonald's in Grimsby. When I worked there, it was literally the year 2001. (laughs) Yep. Okay. (laughs) So that's where this story starts, okay? So I got this job at McDonald's, and uh, I worked in the kitchen and also on the maintenance staff, which meant I got the great job of cleaning up from everybody else's nasty stuff. And at McDonald's, underneath the sinks, like, you know McDonald's is greasy food, right? Like, so when you're cleaning up the stuff in the kitchen, all the grease in the sink is caught in what's called the grease trap. I mean, not a very creative name, but that's where it gets caught. And somebody's job is to go in there with one of their cups, just like the McDonald's large cup, and scoop the nasty puke-smelling grease out of there so we can get rid of it. Nasty, right? Just terrible. Okay. That wasn't even the story I was going to tell. Um, 
So that summer, I was working that job. Um, there was a tour coming through town of all my favorite bands. It was called Warp Tour. It was like you paid 40 bucks Canadian. It was literally from like 9 a.m. to like 9 at night. All the bands I could think of. Like it was amazing. And uh, I got a ticket and I forgot to book a shift off work. So I was a bad kid, literally Saturday morning in the car on the way out of town. I was like, I got to... I got to call in sick. Like, I have no options. I'm literally, like, with my friends on the way to Toronto. And uh, now, keep in mind, this was 2001. So I couldn't just, like, pull out my cell phone and be like, you know, already in Toronto and make a call. I literally had to find a payphone, which, believe it or not, in 2001 in Grimsby, there was maybe, like, two or three, and that was it. Um, so I found one of them. And one of them, okay, one of them was in the McDonald's parking lot. Thankfully, I wasn't that stupid, but <laughs> the other one might actually still be there, and it is on a gas station wall in Grimsby um, by the escarpment. Anyways, don't remember the name of the place, but pulled in there, and I thought, if I call in sick, they're going to be like, no, I don't believe you. You don't sound sick. You need to come into work. So I was like, well, they wouldn't say no to my dad. So logical, maybe not so logical, 16-year-old AJ called his boss and said, hey, this is Doug Douglish, and uh, my son, AJ, is sick. Um, and my manager at the time that answered the phone, lovely lady, bless her heart, she was literally like, AJ, you're an idiot. <laughs> um... So anyways, I was obviously already on the way to the concert. There was nothing I could do, right? So believe it or not, I did not lose my job. I, the next shift, I showed up, and I kid you not, everybody knew about it. Everybody made fun of me. And I never did that again. Um, I was really ashamed of that. Okay, I'm going to tell you a story of a guy in the Bible in Matthew chapter 16. This chapter paints a story of Peter at the absolute top of his game, okay? This guy, listen to this, verse 13 to 20, Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? But then what about you guys? What about you, my disciples? Who do you say that I am? Now, they've already spent a bunch of time with him, right? So, like, you know, people are saying this and that, but who are you guys saying I am? Now, Peter, this guy aced the test, okay? He said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus' reply to him is, blessed are you, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. What? Could you imagine Jesus says that to you? Like, you just said what you thought was the right answer, and he's like, you are so blessed, but this was not something that you just came up with. It was literally revealed to you by God. Now, Peter's probably like, hey, everybody else, you want a prophetic word? Like, I got, I got it. I got game, okay? I picture Peter in this moment looking at all the disciples. Now, when we think disciples, we think of the 12. That may not be the case here. It was probably the greater group of disciples, like all the people who were following Jesus. So he's looking out at them all, and he's like, like feeling like the firstborn, like golden, perfect child, you know, thinking that he's Jesus' favorite. 
because nobody else in this story is mentioned as getting it right, right? Only Peter gets it right. Does anybody in the room have an older sibling that just thinks they're the absolute best and they can get away with everything? Yeah? I'm the youngest of three, so I definitely can relate. Okay. So Peter thinks he's the absolute best. Then in verse 21 to 23, Jesus began teaching his disciples that he was going to Jerusalem to suffer and to be killed. Okay? This is the first time he is telling his disciples that he's about to die, right? So Peter, thinking, oh, I'm the top of my game, like, you know, he just said I'm blessed. This isn't knowledge that comes from man, it comes from heaven. So he's like, hey, Jesus, come over here. He, like, pulls him aside and he rebukes him. And he's like, you will, like, never, like, stop this. This is not happening. And Jesus literally turns to him in front of all the people. And I'm going to read it verbatim so you can hear it. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Whoa, okay, all right, Jesus, all right, right? Not just that, he says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. Like, whoa, okay. Jesus just called out Peter and said, you are Satan. (laughs) Okay, all right, you're no longer the favorite. Now, imagine that's your older brother, that perfect older child getting told, like, he's at the top of his game, and mom and dad are like, you screwed up, right? I can just imagine all the other disciples are like, oh, all right, it's about time. So when Jesus said that to Peter, he's actually addressing Satan, who is seeking to use Peter as his instrument. So Jesus didn't actually call Peter Satan. He was referring to him being used as like a a tool in the scheme. So Peter messed up, right? But we can kind of sympathize with Peter in this story if we look at it through kind of like the human perspective, right? Like Peter was trying to protect his teacher and his friend who in the previous verses had just acknowledged, like Peter had literally just acknowledged Jesus as the Messiah. He's like, come on, Jesus, you won't die. That's silly. Don't say that. Like, stop, stop talking that way, right? It would be easy to feel that way if you knew your friend was the guy that's meant to be the savior of the world, right? Hard to put ourselves in that perspective, but I mean, Peter was just confirmed as the guy that said that. Now, the kingdom perspective is that Peter should have trusted and believed that what Jesus was saying was true because he is the Messiah. That should have affirmed to him that Jesus was the Son of God, so whatever he said should be true. What he says goes. It's not, you know, he's just flying by the seat of his pants here. The respect that Peter had for Jesus was not in alignment with the kingdom of heaven. It actually clouded his judgment because he respected Jesus, but not enough, right? So this is actually just the background to get us to our main text tonight. Matthew 16, verse 24, if you're taking notes, this is where we're going to land for the majority of the night here, okay? Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now, the main thing at the very beginning, he says, whoever wants to follow me, anyone who wants to be my disciple, 
Jesus is not forcing anyone to follow him. Nobody in this room is being forced to follow Jesus. It's an invitation. It's not a toxic demand. It's fully up to you. But if you choose, there are things you must do. Now, membership comes at a cost. If you choose to join Costco, which me and my wife, we do, we're there at least, what, like once every two weeks or something, you know, whenever the granola bars for the kids run out. (laughs) We can't just go to Costco. We need to make sure we have our Costco card. Otherwise, they will literally not let us in the building because if you don't have the card, you can't buy the stuff. That's how it works. Following Jesus, there's certain things you have to do. It means you have to obey what he asks. So we can know with a great deal of confidence what it takes to follow him because he told his disciples and it's written very plainly for us today. So what are these terms of following Jesus? Well, the next part of the verse tells us. It says, let him deny himself. So if you're going to follow Jesus, you must deny yourself. So what does that mean? Does that mean you look yourself in the mirror and you just go, No. (laughs) To deny yourself means submitting to the expectations that are laid out by another person. So when you choose to join Costco, you are submitting to their terms. So here's some things that we need to deny. This would be a great time to take notes. Deny what gives you worldly pleasures. Deny money, the love of it, what it can become. Deny sex, what that can become if it becomes unhealthy, like outside of the bonds of marriage. You laughed at that? Clearly single. Okay. Deny, deny, deny yourself drugs, okay? Deny yourself alcohol. It only leads to stupidity, okay? Deny gluttony. Gluttony means to overindulge in food. My grandpa, he died when he was like 94. When we were... <laughs> We told him about gluten intolerance. My niece has a gluten intolerance. And my grandpa was like, oh, I could never live like that. I'm a glutton for gluten. And that has stayed with me forever. Okay. That's completely a side note. Okay, so denying worldly pleasures does not mean you have to live like a hermit. Jesus isn't saying, like, deny all these things because I want you to move to the mountains of Tibet move in with all the monks at the monastery. He's not saying that. He's saying, don't worship these things. We are to worship God alone. All the other things that I mentioned on that list can quickly become idols and addictions. Okay? Deny your ego. Deny your worldly ambitions. You, I'm about to break some hearts here, okay? You guys ready? 
You don't need to be an influencer on TikTok or on YouTube. If you still think that's something you need to be, you can take it up with my nine-year-old. Okay. Deny the desire to be right all the time. Only God is always right. If you think you're right all the time, you just proved that you're wrong, okay? Humbly apologize when you are wrong. As a parent, Beck and I, we both have times where we're, you know, trying to tell our kids to do something. They're like, well, that just, you know, doesn't make sense or whatever. And then they prove us wrong. Us, as the parents, apologize to them and say, you know what, you were right. We don't need to be right all the time, even as parents, okay? Deny, this is huge for you guys, deny being passive. Instead, passionately pursue Jesus. Deny being lazy. Shake that off. Don't fall for that, okay? Deny yourself the right to be labeled as introverted or extroverted. Now, why am I saying this? Too many people hide behind these labels, and they do stupid things because of it. It's like, I'm an introvert, so I'm just going to avoid everybody. God actually talks in, it's 2 Timothy. I literally pulled up the verse earlier. I don't have it in my notes. But he says, God did not give you a spirit of timidity, but a power of love and of sound mind. Now, that doesn't mean that it's sinful to be shy person. But when we label ourselves as an introvert and that gives us permission to basically just walk into a room full of people and sit by ourselves and not try and talk to people, that's when it becomes a problem. It can also be a problem to be an extrovert and label yourself as that and just be like, well, I'm the life of the party. I don't, ah, right? <laughs> um, it's actually not good. And I'm an extrovert, so I'm speaking to myself here. There are times when my poor introverted wife just so desperately wants to leave church, but I just can't stop talking to people. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm growing here, guys. I apologize, Becca. Thank you. Thank you. All right, deny your opinions and thoughts that stand in opposition to a biblical standard. Now, the Bible says to forgive those who wrong you, to turn the other cheek. You don't seek revenge. It says to love your neighbor as yourself. You need to deny your internal dialogue that tells you you're not good enough to be loved. Walking with God is not about earning his love. I want to encourage you guys, just close your eyes all across this room. I want to read from Romans 8. Just listen to me read it. It says, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, 
nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, height, or depth, or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Keeping your eyes closed, if you are a child of God, the Bible says that nothing can separate you from his love. He knows all the things you've done in your past that you're too ashamed to tell anyone else about, and he still loves you. If you've screwed up sexually, he still loves you. Let that just sink in. Let that settle on your heart, that he loves you that much, that there's nothing you can do. You could literally scream, God, I, I, I'm so done. And if you just say that in a moment of frustration and you still turn back to him, he's, he loves you. He hasn't given up on you. All right. He loves you guys. Okay. Here's the last deny I'm going to say. Deny your thoughts and quit the self-talk that says you're useless. If you love Jesus and you call him Lord of your life, you are a son or daughter of the King of Kings. He says you're more than a conqueror. We just read that in Romans 8. You don't just conquer, you thrive. Amen? Awesome. The next thing we need to do, Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. So Jesus is telling his disciples to wear a cross necklace. I'm glad you caught that. Thank you. <laughs> Obviously, he's not saying to wear a cross necklace, okay? But what does he mean? So in the Roman Empire, a convicted criminal, when they were taken to be crucified, they were forced to walk the streets to their own execution and carry the horizontal cross beam of his own cross. This showed publicly that the man was then, so he wasn't before, but he is now submissive to the rule that he had been opposing. So when we hear this verse where Jesus says to take up our cross, we need to remember that Jesus said this to his disciples before his crucifixion. When we think of a cross, we usually think of Jesus on the cross, right? He had not been on the cross yet. They did not hear him saying it with that same lens that we would see it through. He was literally using what they would know as a torture device, a Roman torture device. He used that as a picture of what it means to follow him. Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, you need to carry this thing that tortures people literally to death. Like, that would not sound like a very inviting thing, right? They would be familiar with that imagery. It's not like today where we're like, in Canada, people don't get, like, the electric chair, but in other countries where people are actually murdered or killed for their wrongdoing, like, it's more hidden. But in that time, it was out in the open. It was like, don't do what they did, and here's what's going to happen to you if you do. So they would be very familiar with what a cross would be, right? 
Now, Jesus is saying it won't be easy to follow him. There will be hard things to endure. Ultimately, he's talking about submission. It's the submission to the rule of the kingdom of heaven. And if you submit to that, it means you will be doing things that you won't want to do. As Jesus' disciples, that's us, we must demonstrate our submission to the one against whom we in our sin had rebelled. Now, I talked about the grease trap at McDonald's earlier. And doing that was something I did not want to do. Submission for me in that moment was just saying, okay, I submit to what my boss is asking me to do, and I did it. That was submission. It was doing something I did not feel like doing. Nobody wants to touch what smells like other people's vomit and scoop it out of this tank thing. It was nasty. Anyway, um, that is submission. Matthew 16, which is where we're reading, Jesus is saying the path that he and his followers would travel would be a road of sorrow and suffering. But in so losing one's life, one would truly find a better life. Jesus' similar words, he says very similar things in Matthew 10. He says, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. So we saw earlier that Peter wanted Jesus to follow his plan, but Jesus showed that discipleship involves a cost. Deny yourself and take up your cross. The things of this world that we struggle to submit to Jesus are the things that we have made into idols. Idolatry is an issue of the heart. So it's not like a statue. It's not like like idolatry for us, for most people in this room, would not be I have a statue of St. Mary in my house, unless you grew up Catholic and your parents have that. But um, idolatry is not praying to that statue, right? We don't do that. But idolatry is more like I can't put down my cell phone. I'm literally addicted to that. I find I'm turning to it every five minutes. I'm like, I put it down, I start a conversation, I pick it back up, and it's uh, like a muscle reflex, right? That is idolatry. It's something that I'm turning to instead of like I'm reading the word of God and then all of a sudden I'm like, well, this is kind of getting boring. I wonder what's going on on Instagram here and start scrolling through, right? Like that's That becomes dangerous, right? So we need to be careful. Be careful of what you're turning into an idol. In Matthew 10, to challenge you on this, in Matthew 10, when he's saying, when he's talking about picking up your cross, it's literally directly related to your relationship with your family. I'll read it to you. speed up here. Sorry, guys. All right. It says, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, 
and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. So let's continue on in Matthew 16. It says, I'll read it from the very beginning. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. But it continues, it says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If it were possible for an individual in preserving their own life to gain the whole world, but in the process lose their soul, of what value would the possessions of the world be? Like, if you were literally like, I'm choosing to take all these things that the world offers and in exchange for my soul, like, or in exchange for my life, like you're losing out either way. It doesn't make any sense. True discipleship involves following Jesus and doing his will, wherever that path might lead you. Sometimes following Jesus means you need to treat your parents with respect and honor because he tells you to do it, even if you don't feel like it. Because he tells you to love your neighbor as yourself, if you're in submission to Jesus, you do it. Because he tells you to submit yourself to him, you do it. Submission isn't true until you don't feel like obeying. You can't claim submission until it has been tested. So, Beck and I, we ask our kids to do certain chores all the time. We have a chore chart. And my kids can submit to do the chores, to earn something, or they can choose to not do them, but they just won't earn anything, right? Submission is doing the chores they hate, even when they don't feel like doing it. Just like me in that grease trap. All right. So tonight, if you walk away from here with anything, I want to encourage you to submit yourself to him. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow Jesus. Jesus submitted to do the will of the Father, even unto death. The Son, the God-man, came to earth, lived as a human, and died to pay the penalty for our sins. Jesus paid the ultimate price for your forgiveness. He died in your place. He submitted to the Father. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But because of Jesus, we can be washed clean of the stains of sin and set free. All we need to do is surrender our lives to the lordship of Jesus. That means whatever he asks of us, we do it. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, I want to invite you to do so tonight. So let's pray, and then you can break out into your pods. So Jesus, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that you set a, an example of submission for us. God, I thank you that, that you made a way that is so tangible and so clear and so obvious to us that if we would just choose to follow Jesus and count the cost of what it means to follow him, that sometimes it means 
doing the things that we just don't feel like doing, but ultimately the reward is a life spent with you. And God, I pray that, that we would choose to submit to your will tonight. Lord, that where you're asking us to, to obey, when you're asking us to lay down the things of this world that we would naturally tend to lean towards, whether it's video games or money or sex or substance abuse or any of these things, God, I pray that tonight your conviction would land on us in such a sweet way to help guide us towards a place of repentance. Thank you, Jesus, that you made it possible. And Holy Spirit, I just, I ask that you would move amongst this room and you would settle upon people's hearts. And while this word could land as a heavy, I pray that it would land just with such a joy and such an ease and, and light upon people. God, I thank you that you are the Prince of Peace. Jesus, you are the Prince of Peace. So would your peace settle on us? That We know that following you is a journey that is joyful and fun. And there's so many surprises along the way. And God, we're just talking about a small sliver tonight. But would you help us to submit to you? God, I thank you for each young adult that came here tonight thinking this was just another night, but God, that you met with them. I thank you for those who came here expecting and they, they got something out of it. Lord, I, I thank you for those who were just on the fence, that there's nobody in this room here, here by mistake. There's nobody here by accident, but that Holy Spirit, you ordained each person to come here tonight. And Lord, I just pray that that your presence would move in their lives, God. That as they submit to you, they would see just reward and blessing land upon them, Lord. You say your, your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And so tonight, as we are choosing to submit to follow you, God, would you make that burden easy, the yoke easy and the burden light. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Lakemount Young Adults Podcast. For more information, please visit us at lakemount.ca or follow us on Instagram at lakemountya. Have an amazing week and we hope to see you soon.